Welcome to the Obey Podcast, where we see through mainstream narrative. No propaganda, no bullshit, just the truth. And now, here's your host, Matthew Keck. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Obey Podcast. Today I'm going to do a primer of sorts on the idea of shock politics and shock policy. And what that means and how we see that uh, in the world right now. And we're not going to go into a ton of specific details on specific policies. And that's something we're going to be tackling in the future. I alluded to it in the last episode when I mentioned I might be doing some highly specific content on some policies that are potentially going to happen under a President Joe Biden, a, a, a President Joe Biden administration. But we're not going to look at the specific agenda he's putting forth. Um, so what we're going to talk about a little bit is the buzzwords we hear uh, a lot in the last couple of weeks, especially, um, but you may have been hearing it for probably, I guess, six months at this point. It's when I first heard of it, which is the Great Reset. So the, the Great Reset is this agenda being pushed by the World Economic Forum. It's kind of been turned into a meme of sorts because of Klaus Schwab and his uh, Bond villain voice. Um, And it sounds like he has a nefarious plot as he talks about building back better and and the Great Reset. But I I just want to tackle this from the idea of um, the, the fact is that this kind of thing happening isn't new. And it's not a conspiracy theory to think that something crazy happens like the uh you know the government response to the coronavirus and the coronavirus and then people look to capitalize on it with, with, with an agenda there's nothing uh, outlandish to have a thought that political officials are going to use this to put an agenda in place so i i, I just wanted to um for first i want to bring up a few things so i already talked about the world economic forum and if you they, they, they have a podcast series that you can listen to and hear it from their mouth, and they will tell you the types of policies they want to see put into place all across the world as a result of the coronavirus. But you'll find the, the, the weird thing with shock politics is an allegedly existential event happens, yet the agenda they want to put forth after it happens to be the same agenda they were in favor of five months before that existential plan, or the, the, the existential event. So let's say you have people who are in favor of a massive stimulus because they think certain people are still out of the labor force, even though the economy appears to be booming. Okay, fine. That's their stance. Well, then you have something like coronavirus happen, and then they are pushing the same stimulus bill, but they're using coronavirus as the excuse. Um, Usually, it's more uh, out of place. So you'll, you'll, you'll hear oh, coronavirus happens, that means we need to bail out X, Y, and Z industries. But if you actually look at it, those industries were things that they were saying should get bailed out or get extra support or subsidized ahead of time. Um, so an example that I also want to point out is I br- briefly subscribed to Bloomberg Businessweek magazine just because there was like a, there, there was a, there was a cheap deal and I'm not against throwing them a buck or two just to see what I guess, propaganda they're pushing, or it's not necessarily propaganda because there are some facts in there that are relevant, but it's more of the, the, the narrative that the mainstream is pursuing. So it's not necessarily all fake or lies, 
but there there's a narrative that they want to push and there are, there are ways they frame things that, that make it interesting. And it's not completely worthless to read, but if you go in there and then you take everything they say as absolute truth and they're framing as the correct framing, then, then you end up as a neoliberal drone that doesn't have any original thoughts. So you want to avoid that. But, but I threw them a few dollars and I, I read through some of their magazines and um, I, I just had some interesting takeaways to one of the magazines that came out a few weeks back. And there, there was a whole uh, opinion section in the magazine that just had some interesting headlines. So, of course, my, one, of the, one of the opinion pieces that, that's included in the November 16 issue was written by Mike Bloomberg himself. And, of course, it was titled Biden's Big Climate Change Opportunity. So the, one, one of the things that is um, so interesting about the piece is it uses... The, the, the current circumstances the United States is in that have nothing to do with climate to justify certain policies or to further argue in favor of extending those policies. And we, we all know Mike Bloomberg and Joe Biden and the, the, the general Democratic establishment have, have had these policies in mind for a few years now. So it's not like they're, they're, they're pushing anything new, but, 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 but they're essentially saying now this is more important than ever. And it's just really odd that um, that the, the, this thing they were already in favor of is now even more relevant because of an unrelated existential issue. Um, so that so that that was the first op-ed that caught my eye. And then um, a, a, after that, even even further in their piece, there, there, there's a whole section called "We Can Do Better Than This." Um, and and it starts off by saying, for the first time in decades, the world faces a series of pressing challenges that are bigger than any one country can solve on its own. The coronavirus knows no boundaries, and the pandemic will end only after we've worked together to develop and distribute a vaccine. Until then, our economies will be held hostage. Climate change and its ongoing carnage present a far more difficult challenge with profound consequences for future generations. The hard choices we face require even more global cooperation, and a new American administration offers hope for a new path. Um, so wh why that's so interesting is the same people who write these pieces that, that say we need to go a new direction, that we need more globalization. I'm not even saying globalization is bad when it comes to, to trade. That's, that's not even the point. The point is these are people who are in favor of globalizing economies, and they've been in favor of that probably for their entire academic career. And then it's like, well, coronavirus is here, so we're going to write think pieces about why coronavirus um, shows that we need to implement this policy now. Um, and it's not like coronavirus actually has swayed their opinion on the issue. It's just an excuse to r rush this policy to the forefront. And, and it was something that they already had um, in store and planned that they wanted to push forward. So and now that we've talked about COVID a little bit, and we aren't going to dive into specific things that they're going to try to capitalize on immediately, but I want to give a few other examples to anybody who might be listening that is, I guess, a skeptic to the, the to the, um, I guess, uh, in the um, the, this type of sh uh, short-term thinking kind of um, it's to some extent it's Machiavellian style of politics where we have an excuse, we'll push an agenda we already had, and we'll be a little. Uh, We'll be deliberate and misleading about it, so people will think we're doing it for this reason. But in reality, you know, we had the Brookings Institute write a paper about it five years ago that we're basing everything on well before the, this existential event happened. So well, let's think back to um, all the mass shootings that seem to be happening in the like 2014 through 2019 time frame. And after almost every single one of them, 
you would hear uh, people on the left grandstand about how gun control was necessary. And then, um, you, you know, if, if I wanted to allude to the Ben Shapiro on Piers Morgan, Ben Shapiro would say that you're like standing on the graves of the dead people to make a case about gun policy. But yeah, yada, 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 that, that was the political back and forth. Well, well, one of the real issues with the policies the Democrats are pushing is almost always the gun control policies they would push were policies that wouldn't have prevented the shooting. Because often the shooters were already doing something that was illegal under the, the current law, so they would have a, obtained the guns illegally already, so, for, so further gun control wouldn't really do anything in that circumstance. Or some of these shootings would be done with guns that w would not in be encompassed by the bill. So you'd have um, Democrats pushing legislation about, say, uh, in, in quotes, assault rifles, right? And then you get in the whole debate of how Democrats define assault rifles being completely arbitrary. But but, but, that, but that's not even the point. The, the point is they, they would define a set of guns, yet the event they were grandstanding based on didn't use a gun that would be banned under the legislation they're proposing. So in reality, it's just they want gun control against certain types of guns. An event happened that is persuasive to the public they grandstand on it, even though the policy does not have a clear relationship to the event. Um, so that's pretty disgusting. And it's an example of shock politics, I guess. It, it's to take advantage of the, the people who are not completely informed, and it's all about optics to them. It's all about how can I make this policy palatable, because I'm going to have it in my back pocket until I have an excuse for it to be palatable, and then I'm going to be as... um. I'm going to virtue signal as much as I can and grandstand about how important it is. And I think that this is truly revealing when it comes to politics, because there is a left-wing activist that wrote a book called The Shock Doctrine, and it's written by Naomi Klein, and she's written a lot of books. And she wrote this 700-page tome that is essentially about how evil Chicago school economists are, because when Chile had a revolution, these Chicago school economists were willing to work with the dictator to try to implement free market policies because they were called on by this dictator to get a chance to try their um, policies in real life. So, and then this example gets called out by the left as right-wingers looking to take advantage of the situation to implement their policies. Yet, every time a left-wing person in Congress tries to push forward a bill that wouldn't undo a shooting, but they grandstand based on the shooting, no, no, people on the left don't say anything. And then if Ben Shapiro or a, a, a right-winger with more than, you know, 95 IQ points points this out, they, they don't really have a response. It just doesn't matter to them. Um, it's, all, it's all about consolidating power and getting their agenda pushed, and it's very impersonal. And, and this is one of the gross things about democracy, is you just have to be skeptical of this emotionally charged language because they, they, they use these situations to push policies that are pretty much unrelated or they're only tangentially related. And they, they appeal to them as if, hey, this terrible tragedy happened, here's the policy to fix it. And the policy won't fix it. So gun control is an easy example of this. Um, but, but, but then you can look at the, uh, the, the economic crisis that took place in 2008 and 2009, and you can look at how that was responded to. So in, in, in practice, you had a, a huge meltdown that had to do with a lot of bad incentives um, that, that stem from a lot of things. So you, ha you have some parts where um, th there were mortgages that were bundled together and were thought of and deemed as safe assets 
So people speculated with them, but they weren't actually safe assets. And this involves bad incentives at rating agencies for assets. And this is the kind of stuff that you'd see in the big short and the big short talks about it a lot. It's all about, hey, look, the, the, these rating agencies are corrupt because it makes them more money. And these people selling these uh, the, the, these uh, assets are corrupt because it makes them more money. And they, they don't really care. And um, and these are the people the government bailed out. But but then you also have to remember that the all the loans that they were bundling up were, were loans that the government incentivized to subprime uh, subprime candidates because the government wants more homeowners in the country. So since the government wants more people to own homes, they artificially push down rate rates for certain people, or they have they, they they pretty much tell banks to give loans to certain types of people just so it makes the uh, economy look better. So it's so, so it's like the government sets up incentives to set up subprime mortgages, and those bad mortgages that shouldn't have existed are bundled together. That's not good. So then what happens is we, we, we move along to 2009, and they pass all sorts of regulation, and they, they, they work under this narrative that the reason why the economy crashed in 2008 was because of too much free market capitalism that was unrestrained so all this policy is about putting more regulations on the banks and it's all about um you know keeping profit seeking to a minimum because you can't let free people make decisions but in reality the subprime mortgage crisis is something that stemmed from government policy people wouldn't be giving subprime mortgages out if they weren't going to get bailed or subsidized by the government the only reason why these loans were made is because the government and the Department of Urban Housing Development told them to make these types of loans. Because if a bank is operating in a completely free space, then they're not going to give a loan to somebody who's a risk if they're better candidates. And unless they have a ton of money saved up and all the good candidates have already gotten their loans and there are no more good candidates and they really need to get return or else they're going to go under so they're willing to take more risks, they're not going to make the, these risky investments because they'd have to actually bear the costs. But the government says, hey, we want these kinds of loans and nudge, nudge, you know, you might not be responsible because after you write up those loans and get it all signed, you can sell it to our agencies and those agencies will privatize the gains and, um, and, and all the losses, you know, the, the taxpayer will take care of that which is absolutely ridiculous. So that, that's that, that's the story of the recession in short, in like a three-minute summary. And there's a lot more to it, but you can't act like the government wasn't a huge element to this. And that's the part that the big short misses. And, the, and that, that's a huge part of the incentive structure. So so, so what happens? They, they pass policy and they grandstand about Wall Street being unrestrained capitalism, which is a false narrative. And they push for bank regulations that the Obama administration probably would have been okay with five years before the crisis happened. And the, these have various effects, but none of them would have stopped that crisis from happening because none of them are about those loans that originated from the Department of Her's Urban Housing Development's incentives. So it's like, great, you use this crisis to push forward certain policies that you're probably already in favor of, and it doesn't wouldn't have stopped the event that you're capitalizing on. So that, that, that's the essence of shock politics. So, so, so that's three examples. We have 2008 crisis. We have a lot of the events of gun control over the last decade. And we have, as we're seeing now with the coronavirus and the Great Reset, Build Back Better, stuff like that. Or Bloomberg Businessweek saying, now is the time to talk about climate. Now is the time to globalize. Um, so it's not conspiracy talk. I mean, even, even Naomi Klein's like, hey, look, the right wing does it. And, and, and this is... 
the issue with big government. This is the issue with government getting involved in people's lives. Because the people who want that power have agendas. They don't really care about the events that happen. They, they don't really care about responding to things that unfold and like actually problem solving. They care about pushing their agenda forward when it's politically palatable. So they, they use these big events to make unpopular agendas palatable and they shove them through. And the, the, uh, and that's what we end up dealing with, um, you know, in our lives. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for things getting shoved through that aren't even relevant to, to the coronavirus or to the economic response. Um, you, you have to keep your eyes open. And then, then one other thing on the uh, Great Recession response, we, we, we needed stimulus. Well, according to the Obama administration, we needed stimulus. So, But what was in that stimulus bill? What exactly were we providing stimulus for? Well, all of those Obama administration loans that went to solar companies, a lot of them originated from that big stimulus bill. So it's like, okay, well, the, a recession happened, and we, the Obama administration used that as an excuse to partially go forward with their green agenda because now they had the opportunity. Sorry, I had that in my head earlier, and I had to I had to work that back in because I almost closed out without mentioning it. But there's just so many examples of this happening, and I just wanted to give a few to people who I guess for for people that needed a primer or a few examples they could just colloquially refer to if they were talking to a friend. And it's just something to think about because if you, if you know this and this is in your mind and you're hearing narratives coming from the news and then you actually listen to the responses to the narratives or the responses to the events, you're going to see all these lapses or jumps. And it's going to be like, hey, that policy doesn't actually respond to this. This is just tangentially related. That's not, you're capitalizing on an event, you're not responding to it, you're not doing anything good. And you can call it out, and then you're not going to be a, a sheep that's nodding along while they listen to NPR, or you're not going to be nodding along when you listen to a Kamala Harris stump speech, or, or even a, a stump speech from a right-winger, for all, for all that matters. It's just something that's worth thinking about, and it's some food for thought as you just throw yourself into the universe that is social media and mainstream news. So, I hope you guys enjoy um, I'm, I'll be back with more content very soon. And for now, sign off. It's Matt Keck. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcatcher or share the podcast with a friend. You can find out more information about the Obey podcast at anchor.fm slash Obey podcast or on Twitter at The Obey Podcast. Until next time. Next time.